So today we are, not yet, you stay back there. Today we are wrapping up our series on what it means to be missional and how we can be missional exactly where we are. And we've covered a ton of ground just this year, right? We started this the second week of, of January. We've covered probably a year's worth of material, honestly, right? So we started by talking about reasons why we want to be missional, kind of the need being missional is fulfilling. We've looked at some stats about societies, reasons why people aren't coming to church, all of that. We kind of laid some groundwork there. And then we looked at prayer and why prayer needs to be fundamental, the foundation of anything we do, and especially being missional, especially going out with people. It has to be grounded in prayer. Then we talked about how do we work on creating environments for intentional relational growth to happen? We just call them parties because that's a much easier thing to remember than environments for intentional relational growth, right? We talked about the importance of creating these environments where relationships can grow, where conversations can happen, all of that. And then last week, we talked about the importance of having the presence of God flow out of us, having the presence of God present in us, invisible in us, because in a lot of ways, that's what does the work, right? It's the presence of God in us that other people see do 90% of the work when we're talking with people, right? It, it's not us. It's the presence of God in God in us that does a lot of that initial, what's going on with that person? I, I want to talk with them. I want to do that. That's a lot, right? Like, that could almost feel intimidating. That's so much stuff. So today, what I want to do to close out is hopefully give an example that is encouraging. An example from Jesus to inspire us in this endeavor, in what do we do, how do we go out and be missional. And so, from the passage Christine read this morning, that was, was I want to give a little context for where we are kind of in the biblical story. So this story is happening toward the end of Jesus' ministry. So this isn't kind of, at, you know, toward the beginning. This is really toward the end. Mark sets this right before his triumphal entry into the city. So we're talking, you know, the last month or so of Jesus' ministry, if not, you know, the week or so before he, he goes to the cross, so right at the end. So Jesus has been teaching for a long time. The passage we read last week where the disciples are sent out, that's happened three or four chapters ago. That, that's already happened. Jesus has performed miracles, feeding the 5,000, raised the dead. Jesus has had a ton of encounters with the Sadducees and the Pharisees, with the religious leaders. They have butted heads a number of times already. So that's kind of where we are. In the immediate context, Jesus, Peter, James, and John have just got off the Mount of Transfiguration. We don't have time to get into like all of that, but that is just this amazing spiritual high. So these four are coming down off this amazing experience where they met with the face of God. Also, they're coming down just full of the Holy Spirit, as, you know, as excited as they could be, and they run into this situation. They run into the remaining disciples, basically having a yelling match with the Pharisees and the religious teachers down here. Over what? These disciples, the ones that were down, couldn't drive out this demon from a boy. And the Pharisees and the teachers, as we talked about kind of earlier, this is right toward the end of Jesus' ministry, so they're kind of at the end of their rope trying to figure out how do we deal with this. So they're popping up, kind of stoking this fire a little bit, being like, well, hey, if this guy's the Messiah, his, his disciples can't even cast out a demon. Come on, that's, how can you trust this? You know, so, so they're there causing trouble. They're, they're there stoking fires. 
Peter, James, and John, and Jesus come down to this big argument breaking out. As the story plays out, Jesus has a conversation with people as a whole, but most directly with the father of the boy about faith and about the role faith plays in things. And they have a really, I think, a fascinating exchange where Jesus is, you know, just talking to the man. He's like, do you want me to do this? You know, blah, blah, blah. And the man goes, if you can do this, please do it. And Jesus kind of, in my head, looks at him. If I can do, you know, this, that idea of just the fact that you said if is their faith here and that they have a, a dialogue back and forth in that. And it ends with Jesus performing the exorcism, casting the demon out of the boy. Everyone goes home happy. Now, normally, I don't use these pictures because there's a lot of problems with them, but I could not help use this one because, oh, no, go back, go back. Come on, give me my pointer. No. Look at his little moustache. Look at the demon's moustache. He looks like he should be, you know, swashbuckling with Earl Flynn or something. I just saw that and couldn't not put that up there. But, so Jesus cast the demon out. Boy's saved. Boy's happy. Boy, you know, almost looks like he's dead, but then, you know, Jesus brings him back. Everything's happy. After this scene, later that night, the disciples, they're with Jesus. And they are understandably upset, concerned, what is happening here? So, jump down to verse 28, and they say, after Jesus went into the house, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we throw out this spirit? Jesus answered, throwing out this kind of spirit uh, out requires prayer. Now this makes sense, right? Why the disciples are so distraught. Because remember last week's passage, right up here. Jesus sent out the twelve, gave them authority over unclean spirits. Goes on to say, they went on to cast out many demons, anoint the sick, and all this. Jesus gave them authority to cast out spirits and demons, and they did it. Why couldn't they do it in this instance? Well, that's what their big question is. Why couldn't we do it here? Why not this one? Mark talks about it was because of a lack of prayer. Uh, other older manuscripts talk about a lack of prayer and fasting. Um, <coughs> sorry. Matthew talks about oh, there just wasn't enough faith there to do it. But today, I'm not going to talk about the, like, the reasons why. That's not what's important for us right now. What's important for us in this discussion is just they failed. They couldn't do it. Now, why is that important for us today? Well, if we believe that we have a God, Jesus, who is fully human, fully God, that means Jesus has all the foreknowledge of God, right? But that means, do I have it up here? Okay. That means when he sent them out here in chapter 6, he knows full well and good they're going to fail in chapter 9. So what, what is going, is Jesus, is Jesus being a jerk? Is Jesus just kind of setting them up to fail? <laughs> no, I don't think that's what's going on here. Jesus knows we're not perfect, but sends us anyway. Why? Why would God and Jesus do this? God's plan for redeeming the world is perfect. God's perfect plan of total redemption. So then why, for some reason, 
that we really have no way of understanding, does God choose such imperfect things? Us. Partner with God in trying to fulfill this plan. Why? We make mistakes all the time. Hopefully we grow and learn from them. I remember thinking back on some of the earlier sermons when I was prepping for this one. I went back and found the very, very first sermon I ever preached and read through it. It's atrocious. It is so bad. And I remember the time thinking like, oh, this is, this, this is such good stuff. Oh, this is great. No, no, it was, it, it was so bad. You know, I, I think back to some of the first kind of pastoral counseling meetings I had with people. Thinking back to like, oh, that was just the worst thing I could have said. No, that, why? Why would I ever say that? We grow and we learn. But it comes back to the idea of why would God use imperfect beings to try to fulfill, to try to partner and be a part of fulfilling a perfect plan? Like in some ways it comes down to how much more is God glorified by doing that? How much of the power, the majesty, the wonder of God is shown by using imperfect beings, beings who are going to make a lot of mistakes to fulfill a perfect plan? I thought of the story of Gideon. Um, We don't have time to go super into it, but Gideon, an Old Testament judge, who this massive army is coming in. So he assembles as big of an army as he can. It's not very big, but it there's a chance. They're like, the, the other army's pretty massive, but he's assembled enough. He's like, with some really good planning, we could pull this off. And God talks to him. He's like, nope, that is way too many. He sends half home. He's like, okay, the, you just made this a lot harder, but maybe, we can maybe still pull this off. And again, God just, nope, that is way too many. And just did this over and over and over again until Gideon ends up with this ridiculously, laughably small army. It could barely be called an army. There's zero chance they should win. They do win. And the point of it is so that Gideon can in no way say, hey, well, you know, we won because I am a military genius. Did you see what I just pulled off here? The point of it is that this is entirely God. The only reason Gideon and their army win It's because God wanted that to happen. That was part of God's plan. And so how much more is God magnified because of that? We just see the majesty, the power of God in that. But that is why we have a God who uses imperfect beings, us, who partners, comes alongside imperfect beings to fulfill a perfect plan. So what does that mean for us in being missional? What does that look like? Well, this same charge that was sent out to disciples back in Mark 6 here is still true of us today, right? We, we've talked about this a, a couple weeks in a row about how this charge is still a part of us, how we still need to go out. If that's true, then Jesus' knowledge that as the disciples would mess something up in chapter 9 is still true of us, right? If this charge is still part of us, so Jesus' knowledge that we're not perfect, we're not going to get everything right the first time. We're going to mess up. Is still true. And yet, Jesus still gives us this charge. We're still sent out. Now, to me, that is incredibly freeing. Right? Am I the only one who, who feels that way, that 
We have a God who knows you're not perfect, you're going to make mistakes. Go anyway. I've already kind of planned in for some of those mistakes you're going to make. And all that is so incredibly freeing. It kind of reminds me of uh, one of my first jobs out of college was uh, as an archaeologist, as just a lowly-level archaeological tech. We were sometimes jokingly called shovel bums. That was one of the best and most, most fun, funner, however you want to phrase it, jobs I ever had. I just got to walk, go out, go on hikes in amazing places, point at cool stuff, be like, there's cool stuff, there's something cool, there's something cool, go home and eat chicken wings. Like, th that's all I had to do. There was no stress. There was, it was just fun. Like, I just got to go out and be. Because I wasn't the one in charge of the field. I wasn't the field manager. I wasn't the project manager. I wasn't the principal investigator. I didn't have to work on the bill side of it. Like, oh, we're, we're not quite going to make budget. Oh, we're not going to make our schedule. I did, that wasn't, this wasn't my plan. I just got to show up and have fun. That's a little bit of the same way with us in this situation, right? We're not the ones with the grand plan. To, on, on the grand scale, the redemption of all things, but even on the individual level, a person we're talking with, a person that we want to show God to. Ultimately, it's not our plan of how it's going to turn out or not. It's God's plan. So that takes an incredible amount of pressure off of us. We're just kind of along for the ride and listening to God. Just listening, God, what, what's, what do you have for me in this plan? What, how can I come along to this plan? How can I kind of do, there's some cool stuff, there's some cool stuff. Just have fun with it and be carried along with it. <clears throat> and so as we kind of move forward with this idea of being relational, of being missional, how can we embrace this idea that we're going to mess up. Well, Jesus already knows some of the mistakes we're going to make on a personal, on an individual level. And as a church, as River Tree, undoubtedly we're going to make mistakes. That would be kind of, you know, ignorant to think we wouldn't make mistakes. Of course we are. But God knew that when God called us. Sometimes God will use those mistakes. has already planned for them. And they are part of the plan. So it's okay if we go out and we plan this, you know, what we think is going to be a cool event, and no one shows up, as in Christine and my 4th of July party last year. That's fine. God knows that. It's okay if we reflect back on a conversation and you're like, oh, you know, maybe on reflection on thinking about it now, maybe I should have said this instead of this. That's fine. God knew at the beginning what you were going to say and can use it. No, it's not saying we shouldn't grow and learn from stuff, right? But God knew that that was going to happen and has planned for it. And that's ultimately part of God's kind of cosmic plan. Like I said, sometimes those mistakes are part of the plan and are used by God. Um, so, kind of a random side note. For Valentine's Day this year, Christine got me the oh-so-romantic gift of the Star Trek, the new Star Trek movies, the Calvin Timeline on 4K Blu-ray. Great. We have, we've had a lot of fun watching those. In the first movie... Uh, the crew is assembling on the Enterprise for the first time. It's about to be sent out. They, there's a distress call that comes in from, from Romulus. There's bad stuff's happening. The entire fleet's going out. As the Enterprise is getting ready to go, they hit go, they, they hit warp, 
nothing happens. They don't go anywhere. After a few minutes, they play it off as a joke. Basically, Sulu forgot to take the parking brake off is kind of the joke. So they're about 10, 15 minutes late behind everyone else. During that time, in the movie time, you know, about 15, 20 minutes later, that ends up saving their, the entire ship. Because every ship that got there on time fell into a trap and was blown up. So this weird little mistake they make ended up being part of the grand plan that saved everyone. Had this mistake not happened, they get blown up with everyone else. Now, this is obviously a very overly dramatic example of what I'm talking about, but you get the idea, right? That God already knows everything we're going to do, has accounted for the word we might say. We're like, oh, I wish we would have said something different. Or has accounted for when, even when we don't listen, when we do things, we're like, oh, I'm going to do this my way. God would have preferred us to do it his way, God's way, but has already kind of accounted for the fact that you know, you're, you're going to do it this way, so let's, let's use that as part of the plan. To me, that is so incredibly freeing. This isn't my plan. Now, that doesn't take us off the hook of, look, oh, it's God's plan. I don't have to do anything. You know, right? No, that's, that's taking things too far. But it's, we just go, we listen to God. That is our primary how we be missional. We just listen. God, where, what do you have for me? Who, who are you putting in front of me? What relationship are you telling me to grow? We don't have to be the one that's, you know, like a spider master strategically planning everything. God's already done that. We just have to listen. So just go out there. Dive in. Live for Jesus. Be, show, reflect Jesus to our community. We're not going to be perfect at it. But we're not going to be doing it alone. God is with us. The verse we've thrown up a number of times throughout this is, you know, the Great Commission. God sends the Holy Spirit to be with us. Our helper to be with us through this. To help us fulfill this kind of great plan and the redemption of all things. It's not that God tells us, all right, you know, when you fix everything, that's, you know, that's when things will be good. No, no, that, things never get fixed. It's ultimately God that's going to do it. But through and partnering with us. We're going to come alongside God. God's going to come alongside of us to try to fulfill, to fulfill this great plan, the redemption of all things. And so, I want to just kind of wrap things up by looking at the homeworks, but it'll end up being our goals for the year. These are goals that I want us to try to do all year long. Go through them again. First goal, pray for three people by name every day. Three people that are not currently walking with Jesus. Three people that you want to just have on your heart, have on your mind every day that you're praying for their hearts to be softened. You're praying opportunities to talk with them. You're praying that you can have boldness in those moments of opportunity. Praying three people by name every day. Second goal, one party a month. And we talked about, you know, parties, you don't have to be a big party in any sense of the word. It could, could be something small. It could be going to coffee with one person. It could be a phone call with someone. It could be something online. Um, I've recently started playing, uh, I'm actually mildly proud and embarrassed by this setup, board games um, online with, with a friend. It's great. So we'll, I'll set up the board, stack a bunch of books up, uh, pull out one of the glass shelves of our entertainment center, 
put it down, and then put my phone on top of it. So he's seeing the board. I'm like, but we're, yeah, we were so proud of ourselves when we came up with this. But that's a way, we've had some amazing conversations doing this. And he's five states away. So you can do things, you know, create these party environments, these environments for fostering and growing relationships. You can do, there's so many ways to do those. We can be creative. If you are not some, if you're someone who like, ooh, going out or having a bunch of people over, even pre-pandemic times, that was not something you wanted to do. There's ways you can do it. There's ways you can create these environments. So that's our goal. Try to do one of those a month. Be intentional about it, because we are all so busy. If we're not intentional about sitting down, all right, we want to meet with this person, we want to do this, it's probably not going to happen. Next goal. Conversations. One of our big goals was conversations. You remember the conversational gear shift we talked about, right? So we had casual, going down to deeper, going up to spiritual, down to salvation, and then it moved on from there, you know, discipleship and leadership. But it's the first four we're mainly focusing on. See if you can move up a conversation, one conversational gear, twice a month. Two conversations a month. Could you move up one gear? That could be someone you've only ever had casual conversations with. Could you try to bump that up one gear, have a little bit deeper conversation? If it's someone that you occasionally do have deeper conversations with, could you try to bump that up one gear to spiritual conversation? And we talked about kind of questions, ways to do that. We talked about kind of reading their body language. Talk about how to kind of read how they're feeling, you know, because reverse gear is a super important one, right? We want to push people out of their comfort zone too much. But just noticing people you're talking with and seeing, can I move this up one more? And honestly, even someone you don't talk to entering into casual conversations with, that's, that's moving up a gear. That's moving up something, right? Because you're having no conversation to something. Could you do that twice a month? Just always be cognizant. When you're talking with someone, listening to the Holy Spirit, looking for opportunities that the Holy Spirit is presenting, bump up a conversation. One gear, twice a month. Next, making can I pray for you a regular part of your vocabulary. We talked about this last week, right? The idea of, in a moment, just offering to pray for someone. It feels counterintuitive. You're like, that would... Wouldn't that put people's hackles up, right? From my experience, it doesn't. People get op open up more when you ask that because a lot of times it's, they've never been asked that before. And so it's uh, like, yes, sure. Like it's, it almost catches people off guard sometimes. But in a lot of ways, it is just you making it clear that they are worth investing in. Even if it is just for this you know, minute, 30 seconds, whatever it is. They are worth your whole and total attention for that moment. And that can mean a lot to people. Now, as we talked about, don't be weird about it, right? You know, like, if you're asking, can I pray for you 20 times a day? But you're probably doing it too much. You're probably doing it in situations that are not the right situation. But keep it in your head as, as I mean, be talking to the Holy Spirit. Oh, is this a moment I could ask to pray? Does it seem like a right does this feel like a right time to ask someone to pray? And just the more you're thinking about it, the more opportunities you'll notice. The more opportunities 
that will be given. Last, see if you can find one person of peace this year. Call last week, we talked about kind of what a person of peace is. It is someone who is not walking with Christ, not walking with God, but they're interested in having conversations with you. They are open to having deep discussions, spiritual discussions. That's a person of peace. That is someone that you can deeply invest in. You can deeply build a relationship with. See if you can find one person of peace. In an amazing, perfect world, that person of peace could be one of your three people, right? Like, how awesome would that be if, you know, there's a lot of synergy between these three. Your party could be potentially one of those three people, like, you know, building up from there. But the idea of having a person of peace that is open and enjoys having conversations with you about God, about spirituality, about your faith, about their journey. A lot of people have never had those kind of conversations, that kind of partner to walk with them through these kind of discussions. So, what do we think of these goals? Are these something we can try to do? Seeing some shaking heads, some hesitancy, yeah, yeah. And we'll be checking up on these throughout, kind of just touching in, seeing how things are going. Like I said, in the summer, we might do some more kind of fun activities to try to give us a little more grounding, a little more footing, and potentially how do we do some of these things. But I think these are some really nice, small, tangible things we can try to do. That if you can just take these small little steps, that things will start to become patterns and habits. And then you won't even really think about, oh, I have to schedule a party this month. That'll just be something that'll be part of your, your every day, your every month. You're like, of course, we're going to do this and this and this. Because we don't want this to be like a chore list you do. We want this to be something that just you enjoy doing, that you don't even really think about anymore, that becomes just embedded in who we are as Christians, as a church, as a missional church, as missional people. Does that sound like something we can try to do? Yeah. All right, excellent. Let's pray.